Welcome back to another episode of Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have with us a special guest, Diana Mathingani, who is the Licensing and Administration Coordinator from Song Trust. So how are you doing today, Diana? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you, Barry, for having me. No problem. I'm, I'm thankful that you were able to carve out some time for me today. Really appreciate it. Oh, of course. No problem. Um, so what I like to do always first is just let the guests give a background of who they are and actually how they got into the music business. So can you just let us know those things? Sure. <clears throat> well, um, if we go way back, <laughs> um, when I was five years old, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. So um, I was born to uh, immigrants, actually, and they both came here. And um, obviously, we're very well-rounded in everything and um, therefore would like me to um, perform and, and take lessons and just be well-rounded. So at the age of five, I actually took private lessons in violin. And so I was classically trained. I had this um, older Russian man, and he was like a grandfather, but a very strict one. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I just actually, um, from five and elementary school, um, joined the elementary school orchestra and then like private ensembles and then did middle school orchestra and high school orchestra so that was pretty much my main focus um you know I feel like most people are either sports people or um more maybe science people and so uh the orchestra was my niche and so like I said I was classically trained um so I uh went to college and joined that orchestra and um that's when I uh, I did that workshop for two years, and then I decided I wanted to kind of focus on my other studies, and um, so I found like a very small like world music group, and it was maybe like seven of us max, and but it was just like a great time, like it really taught me more about improv, and um, kind of broke me out of my classical element. So I really appreciate, even though that was just like maybe two or three semesters in in my college, it was very enlightening for me. And um, I just always wanted to have that in the background. And like I said, my parents are uh, immigrants from Kenya. And so they, when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, you know, in school for further studies, I kind of was up in the air and undecided. And they were like, well, you know, maybe you should go to school for business, <laughs> kind of a solid career path. And um, I took their advice because, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to be in music per se. And I knew, even though I had performed all my life um, in, in school groups and stuff, that I knew it just wasn't for me to be a professional performer. It just takes a lot of commitment and time commitment. And um, it's just like, you have to have that mindset. And I just knew I didn't have it, at least not then. So I decided, all right, I'll take my parents' advice and go uh, into business school. So I went to Northeastern in the business program. And um, so, like I said, I, I did the, the orchestras and the ensembles as an aside, but focused on my business studies. And then maybe around. Um, oh, so so Northeastern is great in that we focus on um, co-op programs, which are basically extended internships. Mm -hmm. And so as a business student, you have to do three of them. And it's basically taking six months out of your school year to work full time. And um, you get paid, you work your nine to five or whatever have you. And um, it basically incorporates your real world experiences with the office life and with class classroom work. So um, so I did my first one in uh, a business setting. It was an office setting. And, you know, I got my <clears throat> business experience there. And then I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is necessarily for me. Let's see if I can kind of interweave my way maybe a little bit more musically for the next one and I was lucky enough to snag a role at um, Cobalt in um, London actually and I got to do my second co-op there so that was my first like kind of music industry um, work experience and I was like okay okay maybe I don't want to be fully a performer but you know I don't have to be kind of in a uh, cliche stuffy office setting and uh, you know, I just knew that like pure finance or both my parents are accountants. I was like, eh, I don't want to do accounting either. Um, so I think that was 
you know, maybe around my sophomore or midler year was when I kind of was like, okay, this is like a nice, happy medium. And so for my my third internship or co-op, I um, was lucky enough to um, be hired at the Harry Fox Agency, which is like a third party company, which um, is kind of in between the publishing side and and the like the, uh, DSP or digital um, digital entities like Spotify, and they basically make sure um, publishers and writers get um, paid out. And so I did that for six months, went back to school for my last semester, and then I was lucky enough that when I graduated, they actually called me back full time. And that was the official start of my uh, working experience post-grad. And I haven't looked back since. Nice. So what exactly <laughs> were you doing at Cobalt and um, Harry Fox? Um, so at Cobalt, Cobalt, I was working mainly on the sync side of things, but, um, not necessarily pitching that it was obviously for the, the uh, higher ups and people that have been there longer, but I did more of like the, the backlogging and the, the, um, kind of the, uh, labeling of, so when things need to be pitched, they have, um, certain aspects in the blurbs or the summaries where they need keywords, um, to kind of search their catalogs of, what music would fit best you know you could you could be there all day if you had to kind of come up with something but it's like say for example um i listened to a song in our catalog and i described it as like happy or um uh sad or like those are very basic but you tag them based on um the melody and like the tempo and um the, the style of it and once you tag those then the the sync pictures could then go back into our catalog when someone um, requests one and basically go in the system and be like, okay, what we need a, we need a happy fast tempo song that has to do with flowers and you kind of search it. And then based on our tags, you know, certain songs would come up and then they can listen themselves and pitch it if they deem it fit. And it's just an easier way. So you're not like thinking off the top of your head. Why because that would be. So it's easier for the people who want to license the music to find it based on mood. Exactly, exactly. Okay, cool. So yeah. what made you go into like the sync and licensing world particularly instead of like, oh, I want to be a, a manager or an agent or I want to do touring? How did you get into the side that you're on now? Um, I think it was, but, oh, sorry, to backtrack, in school I actually – um because I, like I said, I was a business uh, major, but I had um, leftover electives and I decided to pick up a minor in music industry. Um, I had some friends in it and, you know, like I've, I've always been interested in the music side. So I was like, okay, I'll take a couple classes. So I did a, a publishing class. I did a general music industry class. I did um, a music supervision class, which I actually found very exciting. And um, I was like, yeah, I think I could, I could get into this. And then I would say with my um, co-op experiences, um, like I said, Cobalt was kind of more focused on the sync side of things. And then at HFA, I was focused more on mechanicals and, and third-party things. So I kind of, um, it's funny because over the years, like hearing professors, my, my go-to question was always, how did you get into this business? Mm -hmm. And oh, like nine, out of ten, nine out of 10 times, they would say, oh, I kind of fell into it. <laughs> And it's like, wow, really? Like, okay, that's that's interesting. And everyone just has such a different story, you know. Like, if you're an accountant, you basically have to go to school for accounting and get your CPA. Um, if you're a doctor, you have to go to school for half your life and, um, you know, actually practice it. But like, a lot of m music people in the industry kind of, you know, have very interesting stories. Um, just of how they landed there. A lot of interwoven industries too. So I always found that fascinating, especially for someone like me that's kind of, you know, I'm kind of like a dreamer. And I, I like to think I can wear all the hats, but then sometimes all the hats seems overwhelming. And it's like, OK, what's my calling? And this one just seemed to fit. So it was, it was a bit of a kind of opportunities that sprung up as well as interests. So. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where until you actually dive into it and get to get a holistic view of it you don't really realize how many different things are involved within the music business especially if you're just looking from like a consumer side or you just want to mm -hmm. be like the artist or the songwriter 
you don't know right. that there's this um this whole all-star team that's working behind the person you see in front like yeah there are entertainment attorneys and then there's agencies that help you mm-hmm. book shows and then there's the manager and then there's the uh, the touring agent and there's like all these different things that you just don't know about before so i can see how people can just fall into stuff because maybe there's some sort of interest but they ne- never knew that there was a spot for it within the business exactly exactly and that going off of what you said like like people maybe that are in law and practice law they're like oh maybe i want to go more into entertainment law and then they find themselves at uh, a music house um so they're still practicing law but it's now more music focused so a lot of elements like you have business managers that do music or lawyers that do music or a lot of things um connect well with music and like you said, kind of even going through the experience, the outside experience, you're like, oh, my God, I, I want to be the next Beyonce or oh, ah, I can't sing that well. Maybe I can play piano well. And it's like, that's all fine and well. But it for every, you know, major artist, there's just a slews of teams of people that go behind just letting them be in that limelight. And exactly. it's it's very important too to kind of understand that so that you can appreciate it more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it allows that love for music to still be there. Like if you don't want to be the person in front and you're just using your skills that you're good at to still be involved within the music field. So I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for people. And um, this is just Absolutely. one of them. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here to talk about that, which will oh, bring you. me to my next questions for people who don't know what is music licensing and what types of products or mediums is it used for? Um, So music licensing basically is the ability for any musician to legally use um, or interpret another person's works. And so I would say there are three main types, um, although there's many main types. Like Licensing is such a huge field that you would need me for the rest of the week to to fully dive deep into it but um i'll try to stay more topical in general because it can get convoluted but basically i like to think of it as into three main groups which is um, mechanical licenses synchronization licenses or sync and performance licenses um so performance licenses are basically anytime you are in a bar and you hear the music playing or you're at a venue for a show or literally any kind of public performance or radio performance, um, all that needs licenses so that the original creators or or rights holders can get paid. Um, Sync licenses are probably the most, I'd say maybe well-known, which is putting uh, music to moving images. So whether it be a, a movie, film, or TV, or commercial. Um, anytime you have a moving image with music accompanying it, you need a sync license. And then mechanicals, which is what I focus on today um, at Downtown, uh, that focuses on, well, traditionally, back in the day when we had things called CDs and vinyls, um, as the physical products, you, uh, in order for someone to reproduce and distribute those you would need a license for that um and obviously today it's more focused on the gi- digital side because um you know cds are waning although vinyls are making a comeback um they are still relevant and i do still license for physical products but um yeah it's probably half and half with digital downloads and streaming and um yeah as, uh, on the digital side so do you work with like independent publishers as well to get them licenses or to clear their licenses, like as a a Harry Fox or music reports would, or are you just mainly making sure that the, the roster that you guys work with have the opportunities to work with different platforms? Um, So downtown itself is, is its own private publishing house. Whereas HFA is more of like a third party middleman. So I would say the difference is um, for downtown, we we represent writers. So we have writers signed to our, our catalog, whether um, it's an admin deal or a publishing deal or co-publishing deal. Um, and, and so we represent them directly. But when we license, we um, also try to go direct so that, um, you know, we don't have commission taken out. Um, 
But a, a party like HFA is kind of like a third party middleman, which is good for smaller or more independent publishers or even big publishers that have like huge catalogs. Maybe that just, just don't have the bandwidth to keep up with it, um, especially for purposes like streaming and, and um, Spotify aggregations just is near impossible to um, calculate all the royalties and everyone that needs to get paid. And that's a big part of what um, HFA does. Um, so every, for example, every stream of Halo and Beyonce and Spotify, um, HFA, you, all publishers are supposed to register their works with HFA to have the most accurate um, data. And then HFA collects the money from um, the digital service providers and then they pay out based on the information they have. If it's um, Tube, if it's if it's downtown music publishing and if it's Sony music, then it's like, okay, well, uh, 50% of the royalties will go to downtown, 50% will go to Sony. If for whatever reason Sony isn't registered on that particular work, it will just be black boxed until um, Sony registers with HFA. But um, in terms of downtown, we, um, as a publisher, you can sign up or affiliate with HFA to kind of take care of all your needs so you can sit back more. But um, because we're like an upcoming publishing house, we prefer to take care of licensing ourselves. So we would just say we go direct for any um, licensees and come by. Sometimes people are like, oh, actually, I licensed at HFA. And it's like, well, actually, um, we go direct. So if you could, you know, kind of come directly through us next time. So it, it's a preference thing, um, just kind of a business deal. So do you guys do direct licenses with the DSPs? Um, we we do direct licenses uh, for mechanicals. With the DSPs, it. it's, it's slightly, yeah, it's slightly different just because it's, it's streaming is kind of its own uh, box, but... Um, but otherwise, as a general sense, we go direct. Because it's licensed through the PROs. So you guys only right. have to focus on the mechanical. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Got it. Um, so my next question is, what is, for people who don't know, who are licensing things in like television and commercials and um, movies, there's this term called the most favored nations because there are two rights within the um, the song. And how does that work? And how can someone get leverage when it comes to most favored nations? Um, I would say most favored nations or MFN deal is basically a clause that's in place so that um, at the end of the day, no one gets ripped off. I would say traditionally, um, maybe the label side or the master side would kind of be more favored. You know, they've heftier budgets and they kind of, they, they, ha they represent the artists, right? So they get, kind of that um leverage to kind of bargain for more money and uh so like traditionally like the publishers i wouldn't say go to their the wayside but um in order for like the publishing side to not get um pushed aside you kind of agree to the mfn deal that way it's like hey if they're getting ten thousand for this deal that means we would like ten thousand as well so it, it's just to even the playing field basically got it now with yeah. the the um what is it called the new law that's out the the, what? the consent decree mm -hmm. have you guys been having an issue with that with in regards to the writers that you guys deal with because you're do not you mean a compulsory or or what do you mean consent well just in terms of um production houses or any person that wants to license the music in regards to if your writers are working with larger or more known artists and songwriters, have you noticed the increase in them coming to say, asking people who may only own like 2% or 5% of the song and they may be with song trust or DMP. Have you seen them come in to get the license from you guys instead of going to the person who say owns maybe 80% of the song? Um, for the sync side, I, I'm not too familiar with that side. For mechanicals, um, and correct me if I'm not quite answering question, but for mechanicals, it, it really doesn't matter if you have 1% or 99%. Or At the end of the day, um, everyone kind of has to have a, a say and everyone deserves their portion. And um, at least with mechanicals, it's 
slightly different in that because it's um, the statutory rate, it's kind of like a standard based on the compulsory, compulsory license. As long as nothing um, is altered, the, the basic composition of the music isn't altered. Um, technically, yes, only one party needs to agree, but then um, something called an NOI or notice of intent will be sent out to all relevant parties and just kind of as a heads up, like, hey, we're using the song. Um, falls under the um, compulsory license. And um, it's it's just a notification saying like, this is okay to use. So someone like HFA would um, issue those NOIs. Yeah, I guess what I was talking about is specifically for a sync, because I know now they're allowed to go to the person who may have the smallest um, share within that, that song. And so instead of going to the person that owns like 80% of the song and that person saying, yo, we want $8,000 to sync the song. They're going to reach out to the person that has like, you know, maybe only 10% and they're willing to only take 500 bucks for it. Oh, I see. I see. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, MFN is kind of a clause that you have to all agree on. If that's not in place, um, for sync specifically, you do need all parties' permission, and everything is negotiable at the end of the day. So, yeah, you can start with the um, the person with five percent or whatever, and um, and maybe they only will take five hundred. But then you still have to go to the person with ninety five percent, and you know, if if MFN is not in place, you you're dealing with that. And um, like I said, everything is negotiable, so you can come back and be like, oh, well, you know, they gave us uh, 500. So would you accept that? And, you know, they, they have the liberty to come back and be like, no, no, we, we don't want that. And if they do say no, then you can't use it for things specifically. Yeah. You have to have all parties um, consent. Okay. Now with with your role in downtown in song trust, what exactly are you doing? Are you helping create the contracts for it? Are you reviewing the contracts? Yeah, yeah. So I um focus on the mechanical side and I do draft um the contracts for it. So like I said, we go direct with our licenses. So that means um uh, a licensee or a label will come to me and be like, Hey, we have this release and um it's coming out um next month and this is the artist and and sometimes they'll send audio and I'll be like, great. Um, I have to physically draft up the license and we have our own form for that. And um, then I would send it back, have them review it and sign it. Sometimes people um, negotiate specific terms, but overall mechanical is usually um, kind of standard. And um, unless we, then first standard mechanicals, of course, now we're talking about um, samples and um derivative works that kind of goes veers off into another direction and I, I could talk about that in a bit if you'd like um or i don't know if you have a question on that but yeah actually how, how are are you involved with that clearing process yeah yeah so for samples i am involved in that as well um and samples are like syncs in that you need to have um the party's clearance so if we have someone that comes through and is like hey yo we want to use this um sample of this work we know you first they ask if we administer it and you know if we do then we um tell them our share and and, and our writers and then they'll come back and be like hey we want to we want to use this in um our new song our new song by drake and it's like all right well um can you send us the audio for it can you um, tell us how you want it to be used? Can you tell us when it'll be released, on what platforms, um, how many copies you think you'll sell? And um, basically, they're giving us all this information. And at the end of the day, we have to send this all to our clients or our writers that we represent. So from there, they either approve or, or disapprove of it. And we can, we don't, we're not at liberty because we're the, the publishing side. We're not at liberty to, um, to determine that. So I know like sometimes, you know, people will come back and be like, Oh, you know, why, why wasn't this approved? And it's like, you know what? I'm sorry, but this isn't, it's not on me per se, you know, it's not on the public side at the end of the day, it's the, the rights holders decision for, you know, whatever reasons they want it to be if they don't want to use it. But, um, so yeah, um, that's all negotiated as well. That doesn't fall into a stat rate. So that means that, if um, 
part of our song is used. We're like, okay, I feel like I, the the main melody is used. We wanna we wanna ask for sixty five percent. So we'll go back and you know we'll be like, hey, we want sixty five percent of this song. Do you agree or not? And um, I would say it depends on whose side is being leveraged. So say our um, who we're representing is maybe like up and coming maybe and and whoever's requesting is kind of a, a bigger artist or bigger name then they might be like hey take whatever take what we can get because we want the exposure we want the um the claim we know it's going to be a big hit so don't fight on them because we we don't want to lose that on the steal and they'll say okay and and if the roles reversed you know maybe we have a more established client and they're very protective of their work then they'll be like you know what you know i don't i don't really want to ruin my brand and this isn't kind of up our alley so we want to kind of let this one go or maybe we want to claim 90 percent of it and see what happens so at the end of the day rule of thumb is everything is negotiable but um i personally like dealing with sample licenses because um a you get to hear unreleased things and um b it's just it's it's a little bit more creative mechanicals can be you know pretty standard cut and dry but samples allow you to kind of have more fluidity and, 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 and creativeness with what I do. You know, I still want to do, I still want to have that creative element, even though I'm on the back end of things. So, yeah. So in the examples that you're talking about, are these, um, are these necessarily you pitching to different artists to use the work and do you have more leverage when they come to you instead of you pitching the songs to them? Like if someone wants to use the lyrics that one of your clients came up with, if it's a really big artist, are you going to play hardball with them or are you kind of just going to be like, well, this is a, a chance for us to get our, our writers known more or are you going to just kind of just take whatever they offer you? Right. Um, excuse me. Um, I would say that um, for the most part, um, where we stand is usually we receive um, requests from from anyone from your local garage band to, you know, maybe more established artists and um, apologize for being vague, but obviously I have to keep some things at bay, but, yeah, um, no <laughs> but um, so we, we do get a wide range, but we usually receive the requests and usually actually we also get them from kind of middlemen or, 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 or licensing middle houses or clearance houses. And so they have a rapport with us already and they're like, uh, I guess they would also be considered the third party because they're getting your mom and pop shops and everyone else in between. And and then they have the direct relationship with us where as we can kind of be on the same page in terms of what we expect or what we negotiate, you know, instead of being extreme. Of course, at the end of the day, like I said, it's negotiable if our client wishes it to be double then that's what it shall be but um yeah usually we get these um requests as opposed to outwardly pitching um i would say our a and r would more so deal with outward pitching and even the song trust side because you know song trust is more um uh, kind of a one-stop shop for up-and-comers um uh, on their part it makes more sense to outwardly um search for opportunities and then pitch mm -hmm. um so it, it it's kind of that back and forth balance and that that's the beauty of kind of downtown and song trust is that it's a kind of yin yang we right. um yeah so like downtown is kind of like the, the the more traditional publishing house side of things um we get requests we have a little bit more leverage based on who we have in our catalog and based on how long you know, they've been out there and um, where a song trust, it's it's, it's kind of like if, if you kind of can't play hardball with downtown, like try with song trust, I would say. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Right. Now, one thing I kind of just thought of while you were um, talking, is there ever a scenario where someone knows of a writer that you guys have and they're like, I want to see some of the music that they've written that they haven't necessarily put out yet. So it hasn't been like a first use license or it hasn't been sent as a demo. Does that ever happen? Or someone's like, I, I just want to see their notepad. Um, their... Like a label? 
or just just an artist or someone who knows of like a great writer and they're like i just want to see what they've been working on does that ever happen um uh to the best of my knowledge i I can't speak directly on that but i would say that situation sounds kind of like so we have a our Nashville house is kind of like our house of writers, if you will. Um, you know, kind of how sometimes like ASCAP or BMI traditionally have um, their on-call writers. We kind of have that in that um, we have a group of writers that write hits for your Blake Shelton's and your Miranda Lambert's and whomever. And um, so I think, and again, I don't want to misspeak because I don't deal with that directly, but I would say that they probably would deal with more bouncing around of artists that kind of like oh I really want to collaborate with that writer or these two writers that I've heard like I've worked with them before and I think we'd be a good fit um I find that a lot with especially with our country music writers um they kind of I feel like once you're an established writer and you kind of have that niche or that connection with an artist then you tend to start writing more for them or for people similar to them if that makes sense got it okay um, yeah I don't know if that answers your question. But. Yeah, yeah, it did. Okay. Now, when we talk about um, licensing music for television and films, what are some of the different factors that are involved when you're coming up with how you're going to draft the contract? Because I've heard things about, you know, is it, a, is it a background song? Is the person actually performing it in the film? How long are mm-hmm. you using it for? Is mm-hmm. it in the opening scene, the closing scene? Like how mm-hmm. many different factors are involved? Um, so this is just for my, um, general sync knowledge. Like I don't draft, uh, our sync license specifically. We actually have a, another team that does that. We're actually growing super fast. So we, we have, we have a person for everything, but, um, to the best of my knowledge, yes, it, it's everything you've just said. Um, everything in the contract is negotiated and that ranges from the term of the deal, how long it's going to, to, to be on air or, uh, on the commercial, um, where it's being, uh, shown, you know, is it just in the U S is it the whole world? Is it certain territories? Is it, um, who, again, that's negotiating, like who's the artist, who, who's, who's the writer, who, you know, how much are we, um, how much should they pay for it? Who's also requesting it? You know, is it, is it beats by Apple? Is it like, is it someone that has the money to just shout kind of, is it more, a mom and pop shop with their um uh homemade video tv commercial and you know it's 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 so many factors um you listed off a lot of them and um, it's also the the length of the song you know um you can have a five minute song and if you only need 30 seconds of it that's obviously going to be less than if you need the the whole five minutes in say a movie scene and a movie differs from tv which differs from um syndicated tv which differs from you know streaming like netflix or hulu so it's 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 so many factors that it's um kind of hard to ball up in one clean cut package but that's uh is there a resource or like a a checklist that for the people who are are interested in licensing their music is there something out there that they can go to online or in a book i remember you mentioned that book um by cone is that how you say his name yeah, I think it's uh, Khan. Khan, okay. Um, yeah, so it's Khan. I have it, have it next to me, too. And they actually gave it um, gave it to me. It's kind of more the business side of things. So although I do think they have some general uh, terms for songwriters, um, for me, it was more helpful in, like, kind of life terms of licenses, like what wording makes sense to go into licenses. So, um but for like you said, writers that kind of want their stuff pitched, Song Trust is definitely um off the top of my head and not biased at all. But Song Trust is a great um platform for kind of your uh, everyday writers that kind of maybe aren't signed anywhere and, and don't really know where to start. Go to songtrust.com and you know, you can you can sign up with them or you can just kind of browse through. They actually have a great Q and A or FAQ, and they 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 really do lay out their their um policy very clearly, I I believe, and kind of easy to digest. Um, downtown is slightly different because we don't uh, it, it's it's like I said, it's more traditional, so we kind of um 
get uh, new writers through the grapevine. It's not just like, hey, my friend's in a band and can we sign them? You know, <laughs> there's a, a lot more to it. But if you do have that talented friend, I would say definitely uh, sign up with Song Trust and, and you know, they'll kind of walk you through that. So they have someone that will read the contracts for you and explain the terms and conditions. Like if someone is interested in license your song, licensing your song for a film. Right, right. So they'll, and I believe, um, don't quote me on this, but I do believe they actually kind of um, hunt for placements for, for their um, signed writers. And I, I think it might be tiered kind of like, I think you can, you can still own your own stuff. That's the whole point. You do own your own uh, music and masters, but um, the point of signing up with Song Trust, they take a cut, but they get to kind of source those um, places or contexts that you otherwise wouldn't have. And that's how they, they help you there. Okay. But at the end of the day, you still own everything. So. And they have a, a certain fee, right? Is it like 10 or 15% when you sign up with them? I'm not I'm not sure of the uh, actual percentage, but it, it is a commission base. But um, if you it's probably on the website or even I, I know they have we have um, a whole team that are uh, focused on um, client client services. So if you have a question, you know, you can hit them up there. I believe their contacts are also on the website so you can easily chat with a real person and that's not just a bot so cool right um, yeah that's yeah so much better yeah exactly exactly now with your experience in seeing some of these contracts is there um are there certain terms and conditions or even price ranges that you're seeing that may be specific to indies versus major label artists versus a mid-level artist what are some of those numbers looking like like if i'm just a garage band and i'm getting something licensed a major film company coming out with a huge movie are they just going to offer me 500 bucks because i don't have a name yet or would it be like five thousand versus a superstar who may get upwards of a hundred thousand what has been some continuous numbers that you've seen over the time um so again because i don't handle those numbers and license directly i can't give exact figures um from my general knowledge i know that um it, it's it's a two-way street it's if you are an indie film producer you don't necessarily have the budget to give and you know as much as you might want to use beyonce's whole roster in your film it's just not realistic to clear so that's when you would go and fish for um it, whether it be a sound alike or whether it be um you know maybe a song trust writer for example something you've heard or someone on soundcloud it's easier to negotiate down and you kind of uh, at least on um the, the pitching side it's kind of like hey i would say just be upfront, like hey this is our budget and we really can't afford much more like is this something you can work with and i actually had a friend recently do a deal that way and and he was kind of uncertain if he should take it or not but you know because he is starting off it's like why not this is a good opportunity you know you're still building your brand and you're still making a name for yourself so you know he's kind of worried of um is it bad if i go with whatever fee they they started should i play hardball and you kind of have to be honest with yourself and and where you are at um and if you know you're just getting started, I would say, I, I don't want to say like take whatever it is because you obviously it has to fit with your um, morals and goals and vision in terms of the product itself or, you know, whatever the selling of it's commercial or whatever scene it is. You know, if you're not really personally for that, I wouldn't say just go ahead and take whatever, you know, to put in your pocket. Um, but if it, if it does seem to fit otherwise, it's like, okay, maybe you, maybe you're not getting, you know, a, the, a month's worth of a paycheck for this deal, but it could give you that exposure that you need and, you know, take this one and maybe they'll have a contact for you. Like, Hey, I, I worked with him last time and, and his music's dope. Check him out. And maybe that, that next um, film or, or TV um, company would be like, you know, we can offer him a little bit more and kind of gain traction that way. Right. Um, Kind, kind of like what I was saying before with Sinks, it's 
obviously the the more popular you are, the more famous you are, the more um, the the bigger your repertoire is, the more leverage you have. And um, so it's kind of on both sides, like what you can afford, whether it's um, the the publishing or the, or the licensing house can afford to pay you versus what you are willing to accept. Right. Um, so everything's negotiable. Yeah, because I, I read a, a book about publishing and there's like, you know, people have different ideas in regards to how songwriters should approach it because you don't want to be known as the person in the industry that will just give out your music for free. Exactly. Because people will continue to approach you and just say, hey, you'll get a credit here. Or, you know, if the music, I mean, not the music, if the movie or the television show gets picked up, then we'll come back around and do it. And sometimes that never happens. But then you already have this name within the industry of, oh, you can go to this person and they'll give you the the music for free. And mm-hmm. then on the other hand, you could feel like you're missing out on an opportunity because you just don't know what's going to work or what's going to be a hit or not. And mm-hmm. so it's always kind of this battle of what do I do? Do you ever have to guide any of your clients or do you have people within the DMP and song trust community that tell people when they should take those um, opportunities or not? Um, so on the downtown side, it's, it's we can, for the publishing side, you know, we kind of, um, we will we'll, uh, read and review everything that comes through. We won't, we won't just be like, no, absolutely not. You know, because like I said, at the end of the day, it's not our decision to make, it's the writer's decision to make. And, and we can, uh, for example, for, um, well, I can't be specific, but for uh, a sync one, I, I remember um, talking to my colleague about, and they had gone through the process of negotiations and it was for a Netflix show. And, um, you know, they kind of did the standard, like, yeah, that sounds good. And then, um, the actual show came out and, and the, our client wasn't too pleased because they felt they didn't have enough information. Um, and they didn't know exactly what the storyline was about. So when they, the way it was kind of presented was more innocent than the outcome or the output. So it, it, it there you do run into things like that where it's like of course you don't want you and you don't want to say yes to everything and um but you also want to have as much information about what you're agreeing to as possible. And that's where we come in and play because we do have to ask all these questions and kind of gain as much information as we can in order to deliver it on a plate for the writer to um make their decision easier. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's, sometimes it's just things get lost in translation. Um, whether it's the requester being a little shady about it or whether, you know, you, you took it as one way and they meant it as another way. Sometimes it's just a matter of wording. So as the publisher in the middle, we try to, um, kind of weed out every all the pertinent information that's necessary um so that everyone's you know uh, agreeing on all terms now is there just not a system in place that allows the publishers to view the finished work before it actually comes out or is that just something that you just have to request and then they'll be open to it um we we always try to request like if like hey do you have a snippet of a of a scene or do you have maybe a, a prior season that we can base your uh theme off of um in terms of like sample licenses we always ask for audio and uh lyrics if you have them written out already because we want to give our clients we want to protect our clients and we want to give them as much information as possible so that it's not this um oh how about this uh, do you know what this is oh let me go ask oh how about this you know what this is oh let me find out you know it's like we we try to gather um, all information, and of course, you know the the licensee is also trying to be productive of their work, so they're not necessarily going to send you, you know, a, the whole five minute MP3 or the whole um, TV scene because you know they're trying to be protective. They don't want to give away everything if you haven't even agreed. Right. So you you kind of have to balance that and understand that you know. Even even the like 
for example, hire clients that we've gotten um, sample requests from. It's like, I don't want to send you audio, but can you uh, can you listen over the phone? And it's like watermarked, and you're listening over the phone to kind of approve. So they, they it is um, they are allowed to obviously um, kind of protect themselves as well, but understand that if a client can't gauge the content they're agreeing to, then you know might hurt the licensee in the end. So it's kind of a balancing act. Usually people requesting are are pretty clear cut about like here here's some audio or um here's a scene description. That's that's like a given. You should know that going in if you're requesting a license that that would be information they need. No one's gonna sign blindly to whatever. Right. So now this question may maybe you might be able to answer, maybe not because it's out of your division, but do you know what the uh, the criteria is in terms of how DMP picks up their clients, because I, I'm asking this question for people who may want to look at them as an option to sign with. Um, I think for the downtown side, it's a little more traditional, as in um, we have like an A and R kind of searching and scouting. Um, it's not really like anyone can just sign up and send their repertoire and their resume and, and like, Hey, can we sign with you guys? You know, it's, it's not, there's no like simple way, but usually what my yes, response to that is um, if you can't get in touch with A&R or, or to send a demo, you know, if you do have an inside connection, sure. It doesn't hurt. We can always forward things, but as a general rule of thumb, I would, I wouldn't say that because then they would be inundated all, all day with demos. Um, so I would say that's like kind of A&R's job to scout and we leave them to it. But if you are, um, an independent writer or, or, or artist, definitely sign up on the song side. And then from there you can get, you get the, the, the same basic tools you would need without, um, being, you know, kind of poached and, and signing up with the you know label it's it's the same it's the same way as like hey either like sony signs you or um you know you sign up for an indie or you kind of go through like cd baby as your independent distributor you know so there's no right or wrong way it's hard for me of course to say on the downtown side um that's a little more traditional um but i would definitely say you know hit up song trust and you know sign up through there you got to start somewhere and sometimes, sometimes it does happen where um, if we do know, uh, for whatever reason, if maybe um, a song does really well or, an, or a writer does really, really well on the song trust side, you know, we hear it too, obviously, on this side of things. And it could be picked up that way, got you know, it, to kind it. of be pulled into the to the downtown mm -hmm. uh, umbrella. Got so it. Now, with you being involved in... Um a lot of the legal stuff in terms of how the contracts are written. Are you also listening to the music as well before you actually like put the contract together? Like, is that part necessary or do you just have to understand the language when it comes to drafting it, the contracts? Um, I would say um, for straight mechanicals, I don't necessarily need to listen to anything because that all falls under the Copyright Act. And at the end of the day, it's kind of, like I said, a cut and dry thing. It's, hey, I need to use this. I can, I could ask for audio and lyrics just so I know that it's not like a remix or, or, or an arrangement, a separate arrangement, but that's pretty standard. And so I have a standard agreement for it. Um, sometimes people will come back to me after I send them the standard agreement, like, oh, can you, can you change this? Like for a lot of people want like the lyrics reprint and we have a clause in there, you know, you know, when you're drafting a, a, a license, it's like you have everything you need in place, but there might be um, to, to cover ourselves. We have everything we need in place, but uh, a requester might come back and be like, Hey, um, I noticed you say you, you need to collect quarterly. Is it all right if we change it to, to semi-annually? Like, cause I only, collect and pay out um you know twice a year it's like okay i can go back and change that clause because it's not you know it's it's like a small thing but um 
yeah, for mechs, usually it's pretty straightforward. Samples, it's definitely, I definitely need to hear the audio. And the agreement itself is dependent on what we've negotiated. So I need to know who our songwriters are and the newly negotiated splits. Because it, it could be like the original song is 50-50 and we, we have 100% with our two writers. But now I need to change the sample agreement to show that it's no longer 50-50. It's um, maybe we took a 50% cut of the total. So now it's 25-25. And now we have two of the new writers for the new song. And they're getting 25-25. And, and this agreement needs to show, you know, all the parties involved all their um, contacts and and uh, affiliations and um, basically have a signatory line that says that all parties approve. Yeah. Yeah. Reason? So the sample. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. So the sample just um, is a little bit more of a tweaking in terms of, you know, what has been negotiated. And the, the reason why I was asking that is because I was wondering if there was a certain style or a, a genre or maybe even certain lyrics that you're noticing that are getting more opportunities than others. Um, I think that would be more a uh, sync-related observation just because we don't, you know, quote-unquote, discriminate against um, the type of music that comes through. It's if you want to send us a country song to if you want to send us a rap song. Well, well, not specifically for you guys, but in terms of the music that's getting requested. So from your. Clients, oh, like so from like, our catalogs. Right. Right. So when you're, looking uh, at it and you're like, man, this is like the fifth country song today that wants <laughs> to be, you know, licensed. So that's what I was asking. Kind oh, of. I see. Well, for samples, I would say I would definitely see more of. um either hip-hop beats being sampled or usually it's hip-hop songs that use kind of more indie um creative kind of indie pop um music within it because it's like okay you can have a straight rap song right and you, you got your lyrics and you got your um hooks and and whatever it is to to, to make that up and then you have your simple beat right but how do you make it stand out Whoa! I listened to that 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 hiatus song, and I really like how she uses some um, the drum with the with her voice. It's so melodic, and so I want to cut snippets of that and put it into my song to make it stand out. So, it, it I would say that it seems like a lot of um the collaborations seem to be more hip hop with elements of other, <laughs> to put it simply. Got it. Now, do you ever run into situations where like newly sign writers come to you guys and they don't have the business in order do you help them like get their um their splits together and things like that or is that like another division that will help them with that they to get their what together their splits their split sheets like is that because you wouldn't know who to pay or who owns what if they didn't have like the, the splits like you were talking about earlier this writer owns 50 percent and that writer owns 50 percent is there ever a case where someone wanted to license something but the paperwork hadn't been finished yet is that something uh, uh. you go back and fix or is that another department um yeah so if it's if someone's requesting um if you know a label hears word of of a new release that they know of but we don't have splits aren't registered yet we would simply just go to our writers and be like hey have you guys figured out what the final uh split will be and sometimes they're like oh we're still negotiating and uh you know, and we kind of have to keep the the licensees at bay until it's decided. Um, we that that's not something we would decide. We would never go and be like, oh, just give them a hundred, and it's like, wait. <laughs> so we always go back to our clients, and 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 they're the ones kind of figuring out what um, you know, because because a lot of times, you know, we we might even get it like, hey, it was a three way cut, and then they're like, oh, actually, you know, um, Mark came into the to the studio and decided to throw on a, another um verse and so now he's getting 10 percent. so um there are times where um it either switches or something's too new where we do have to either wait and confirm and we just simply go back to the licensees and be like hey sorry we don't have this in yet but we'll we'll get to we'll get that to you as soon as we we have that cleared got it yeah 
Okay. Now, are there any websites or any companies that you know about that a person could pitch their music to that is legit? Because I see like a lot of these different companies out there and a lot of them seem like scams and they're making people pay money up front for people to listen to their music, but they're not really getting opportunities or probably even getting their music listened to. Do you know if there's anything out there that has been helping people actually get their music licensed? Um, in terms of getting it pitched, or do you mean just like getting exposure, like like a SoundCloud like pitch? No, not not SoundCloud. Like in terms of um being in film and television, I know that's not particularly your side, but just wondering if you know of something like that. Um, yeah, I would say that that's. It's easy. I don't know of standalone websites where you can kind of do that. Um, it's easier when you when you are signed with a publishing deal or sign up for someone like Song Trust because then our part of our job is to actually you know kind of either poach or kind of you know um, market the catalogs we do have, and so people would see it kind of either through the grapevine or through context. So you know if you are if you are an indie writer you sign up for song trust, they're going to go and kind of fish for the right opportunities for you. And you know, it's legit because you're signing up for your, you know, your annual fee or whatever it is. And um, you still earn your own, your masters and you still own your writing share. Um, but it's like the whole point of you signing up for the publishing side is to help you with that. And I don't know personally of any, kind of one-off pitching sites i I think there are third-party clearance houses and a a lot of things i would say are are word of mouth like my friend for example that i said um got a sync pitch for was it was an indie film and you know they kind of it, it went through actually like a friend of his saw it on a you know women music is a great um tool women in music is actually really awesome um to sign up for you can join even if you're you know male it's not just for women but oh i didn't know that. <laughs> sorry yeah nothing <laughs> i sound like i'm plugging right now but it's, it's um actually a great uh source just for um anyone in the industry to kind of intermingle or network or you know, you could, anyone can email in the group and once you're accepted and you pay your dues i actually got um this downtown i saw the downtown um job description via women in music so it's that's that kind of thing i would say is a better resource kind of people in the know that can kind of point you in the right direction or put you in contact with someone they know rather than i guess googling (laughs) right i don't know what people are googling how to pitch my music (laughs) right yeah it it seems like it it could be a little tough if you don't know someone you know right 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 so something like I would I would steer steer more into the uh, side of networking or signing up for something like a women in music or any kind of um, any kind of really networking type of group and go from there even even if it's like a Facebook group or what have you because from there you can kind of you know spread the word get your website up get your music out um, and kind of make the connections hopefully organically that way and yeah that that's that's my pro tip <laughs> yeah something that kind of just builds a community like the more exactly people that join it that's cool now with, right 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 with you being able to see all of the um the contracts that are going on are you noticing like a lot more independent and when i say independent not necessarily like independent filmmakers but like a hulu or netflix are bringing more opportunities than like a big Sony Pictures or Warner Film. Have you been seeing that lately? Um, again, I, I can't. I don't know the numbers, but from what I've observed, it seems like, especially with the digital side growing and the kind of more um straight to straight to consumer type of deals happening uh in the market, like your Netflixes, your Hulus. I I think those opportunities are coming in more, especially because they're also trying to build. Obviously, now they're well known and have hefty budgets themselves. But I think 
especially when they were starting off, they were trying to gain the market share and, you know, um, doing most of the, the, the pitching and, and offers for getting music placements. Whereas I, and again, I'm no expert here, but I would imagine a bigger, more traditional film house is either more selective or has maybe a direct connection with like a clearance house. And they, they usually have their own personal like music supervisors that kind of do the picking and selecting almost like their own personal A&R picking and selecting what they can use because they, they have that budget, they have that allowance to have that. But for your, um, someone like Netflix or anything kind of up and coming, I think I see those a lot more because, um, you know, we can, you can deal with them a little more directly.